Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. There was a time when it came to flying on airplanes that you almost kind of looked forward to it. If you remember back, if you ever had a chance to fly the old Midwest Express Airlines, you, you can remember it was it was leather seats and it was, you know, only two on a side and they were spacious. And if you flew on them, they served meals. They had champagne that they'd serve with you, believe it or not. And if you'd fly back on the evening flights, their dinner was a choice of steak or sometimes it was like a lobster thing or something. It was actually something that you, you kind of almost look forward to. Boy, this is great. I get to fly Midwest Airlines and it'll be a wonderful experience. Well, no more. Let, let's face it. Any cachet that there was to airline travel is long gone. And if you're like me, Whenever you get on a plane, you've probably got just a, a couple basic things. First of all, I hope the flight leaves, and I hope the flight leaves close to on time. I hope that the flight gets there when it is supposed to get there or close there, too. And I hope my bags are there. And, and anything else is, is plus. Anything else is gravy. You know, hopefully the flight will be relatively smooth so you don't have the big bounces up and down or things like that. But but that's really about all you can expect from air travel nowadays. And, and you know there's not going to be any of that wide seating unless you're flying first class or something. You're going to be crammed in. But you, you just have to go in with expectations. Which brings me to this story from the weekend that I want to share with you and get your reaction to it. Shakari Richardson. You may be familiar with the name. She's a um, track and field star. Play Iran track at LSU. She was scheduled to be on the U.S. Olympic team in 2020, but during the, the, the tryouts for that, she tested positive for marijuana, and that's a banned substance from the Olympics perspective, so she was disqualified from the U.S. track and field uh, championships, so she didn't go on to the Olympics. All right, that, That's who that is, if you might vaguely remember the story. So she's 23 years old, and here is the story. I want to get your reaction, and if you want to see some of the video that I am referring to, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Okay, she's from the Dallas area. And American Airlines, thats I don't know if they're based out of Dallas or that's one of their big hubs, but she's on a flight Saturday that is leaving Dallas. Not sure where the flight was going to. It doesn't really matter. So if you, you know, when you get on an airplane, they, they tell you, you know, get in your seat, fasten your seatbelt, make sure your tray tables are up. They also come on and they tell you that, you know, your your cell phones, they tell you to shut off all electronic devices. And depending on, on how they, they do it, they, they say, okay, well, if, if, or you switch it to airline airplane mode, okay? So she gets on the plane. They make the announcement, and she's on the cell phone. She's talking on her cell phone after they've made the announcement that tells her to shut the cell phone off, all right? So there's an American Airlines flight attendant. His name is John. That's all we know so far. She's talking on the cell phone. The plane is, like, trying to get ready to leave. She's on the cell phone. They've said shut it off. 
she then, so John comes up to her and says, you got to shut off the cell phone. Right, turn off the cell phone. She tells John that she doesn't like John, the flight attendant. She doesn't like his tone. She doesn't like the tone of voice that he is taking with her. So she is offended that, that he's told him this. Okay, and at this point in time, we are now getting ready to get off to the races. So she's on the phone. He's told her to shut it off. She says, I did. I turned it over to airplane mode, but I told him I didn't like his tone. All right. So a few minutes go by. The plane, you know, pulls back from the, the gate and, you know, starts to, you know, they start to like taxi to, you know, where they're the ultimate takeoff. At that point in time, the flight attendants come out and they're doing the safety check, right? You know, where they come out and they say, okay, there's two emergency, emergency exits are here, lavatories in the back, et cetera, et cetera. So they're doing that. She, this Shakara Richardson, she's, she's, there and she's still playing on her phone now john the flight attendant is doing the he's he's doing the safety demonstration right in front of her and she's like still on her phone well he's already told her to turn it off he, he then she says he says you're supposed to turn that off she said i've got it in airplane mode and john the flight attendant then looks over her shoulder kind of comes forward to verify that it is in fact in airline mode airplane mode all right now we're really off to the races. Apparently what she is doing is she is making a video of herself on on the plane, sitting on the plane waiting for the takeoff. Once John, the flight attendant, comes and, and looks over her shoulder, he is now in the video. At that point in time, she starts recording him. All right, now I will share. This is her version that she has posted on Instagram, but you, you get the, the background on this. Okay, she says, first of all, John disrespected her while she was speaking on her phone prior to takeoff. And she posts a video of herself in her seat while she's panning the flight attendant. All right, so then this is what happens next. She then says, prior to the video, this gentleman, that's the flight attendant, asked me to get off a cell phone call. I did. I stated to him I didn't like the tone he used with me. Following that, while standing in front of me doing the safety protocols, he continued to lean over to look at my phone. He asked to see that my phones were in airplane mode at this point. He demanded me to show him, which I did in front of him. Okay, so that's it. So then, all right, she then starts recording him. He asks her to stop recording me. And she then apparently responds animatedly towards the flight attendant. I'm recording me, but you jumped in my video. So I caught you because you jumped in my video, she yelled at him. You're harassing me at this point. I think you should stop. I think you should stop. Okay, so this is like during the safety protocols. At that point in time, multiple passengers who are on the plane start yelling at her, growing aggravated with her, saying, knock it off, stop arguing with the flight attendant. We want to leave. She then gets mad at the other passengers. Y'all see him, right? Y'all see him, right? Y'all see him, right? I'm sorry, it's not me. Talk to him. No, ma'am, don't talk to me like that. I'm an adult. Don't talk to me like that. Don't talk to me like that. Tell him to stop. If you do not know what's going on, do not yell at me. Okay, then apparently she gets... (laughs) So now 
you now have this, this big brouhaha, right? And now she's starting to yell at all the other passengers who are telling her, put down the cell phone, knock this off. At which point in time, now the pilot gets involved. They say, what's going on here? The pilot then says, okay, we're going back to the gate and we're going to toss her off. Okay, so now... Now what happens is other passengers, now they really start to get angry with her. She gets into an argument with a different passenger um, who says, well, thank you. Now I'm going to miss my connection. And her response to the guy who was saying, I'm going to miss my connection because now we're going to be 30, 40, 50 minutes late, whatever. Oh, so you're worried about a connection when a grown man is disrespecting me, Richardson says. The passenger says, I don't give a blank. Fill in the blank. Richardson was then escorted off the plane and continued to trade shouts with passengers and flight crew on her way out. Applause could be heard as she exited. All right, so here's what I want to discuss with you. This is what she says. Tell me if I'll be wrong to pursue legal legal action against American Airlines. Not only did the man threaten me, but also an innocent bystander who simply wanted a picture with me. I don't know what that's all about. In the beginning of the video, you can hear a um, male state that he doesn't care that a male flight attendant is intimidating a woman. Also, the captain is not doing anything to help the situation, and this flight attendant has the applause when I exit the plane. Well, I'm pretty serious. The disrespect I would have received would not have happened if I was one of them. I assume that she's making a racial reference to that. But, okay, so that's that's the circumstance. I think that is a fair depiction of what happens. She says, well, tell me I'll be wrong to pursue legal action against the airline. Let's start there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right. Is this this gross miscarriage of justice? Did Americans Airlines mistreat this woman who says she was disrespected from the beginning that all started after they told her to get off the cell phone? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Are you as outraged about this as she apparently seems to be? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Talk about not being able to read the room. Narcissism appears to be running rampant in today's world. What's more important, others making their connections, landing on time, or me asserting my right to not be disrespected? I think the answer is obvious to every narcissist out there. She was not being disrespected. She was being treated like any other passenger who was being disrespectful to the airline staff and other passengers out there. Jeff, entitled little child with attitude and behavior, more appropriate, effect reflective of a spoiled child rather than adult. For the sake of all the other passengers, good riddance, naturally it goes straight to seeking legal actions by this brat. 855-616-1620. And I mean, I, I, I just see how all this, this happens. And if I was on the plane too, once you see this escalating, I got to admit, I'd be one of the people saying, lady, put down the phone. You know, just let's leave. For goodness sakes, stop arguing with this guy. It doesn't make any difference. And if you watch the video, I also think that when you hear the flight attendant talking, he's he's not screaming or anything. He's, you know, they tell you don't be on the cell phones. She's on the phone because she doesn't think the rules apply to her. And then she's still got the phone out, and he's 
She cops an attitude. The flight attendant verifies that she has, in fact, turned this off. I guess the only other thing is, if you want to flight, fault the flight attendant, maybe what you do is say, okay, if we've got some parent, uh, some uh, passenger that's going to just resist this, we're just going to go along with it. What's the what's the big deal? Well, they have these rules for a reason, don't they? 855-616-1620. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I'm outraged that she even has the uh, audacity to say that she has a legal case. If anything, Americans should be suing her and possibly banning her from future flights for a little bit. Um, Another example of the race car gone wild. Well, you know, Mike, thanks for the call. You know, I mean, I think this is, I think maybe one of the things to, to protect the field, all the rest of the people who are passengers, it would be interesting if from time to time these airlines just simply said, okay, here's what we're going to do. To your point, all right, you, you, you didn't like it. We're sorry you didn't like that. We're sorry you had a bad experience. You, of course, started this bad experience. But if you want to be boisterous, if you want to start getting into arguments or whatever, fine. Tell you what, why don't you take a break from flying American Airlines and we're, we're going to ban you for for a while because what she ended up doing was to inconvenience the entire plane and and one of the things look I, I'm not saying flight attendants are always right I, I believe me I I get sometimes that there is an overzealous approach to these things but in this particular case the best indication to me of of who's right and who's wrong is that the passengers all ended up siding with at least as far as I could tell all ended up siding with the, the flight attendants who the passengers simply say lady stop it you know, just just stop arguing. But of course, she goes into the "I'm being disrespected," and then you end up going nuclear. And then instead of "Okay, we're going to finish our instructions," you put the phone down for a minute, or you don't argue, or now you're going to f- start filming the, the flight attendants. Instead of escalating this, you put the phone down for two or three minutes. You let the thing take off, and then you go back to videoing your, yourself. Instead of being this childish prima donna trying to, I don't know, make a point, and as a result, you inconvenience convenience the other however many people were on that airplane 855-616-1620 mark in elkhorn mark in elkhorn yeah good afternoon jeff yeah, thank you for jeff, taking, my call. taking my call i i just had to uh call on this because uh there's rules that have to be followed and it's unfortunate that there are people that feel that they're entitled, you know, that sense of entitlement, that they don't have to follow the rules. And and she's putting inconveniencing, like you had said, inconveniencing everyone else on that plane by just thinking of herself and being selfish and not wanting to follow the rules. Uh, she is. You're, you're just absolutely correct. Um, and it's And none of this happens unless you have this stuff going on. Hey, thanks for the call, Mark. Tell you what, let's take a very quick break. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out there right now, but soon it's going to be warming up and you're going to need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank, your simply local equal housing common sense lender. You can use a loan to cover home improvement costs and beyond anything you need to fund, you can start your easy online application in minutes at greatmidwestbank.com. It's the Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. I guess one of the reasons this story resonated is that, again, with air travel, all you want to do is get 
is kind of get where you're going. And I think you have to kind of go in with this attitude nowadays that there are there are rules. Okay, there's rules about what you can bring through TSA. There's rules about what you can bring onto the planes. And there's rules about how you are supposed to behave on the planes. And I think it starts, if, if you're not prepared to do that, if, you know, you think, well, my phone call is more important. I know that we're supposed to leave, but I'm on my phone and this is it, and it's it's more important than the flight. Well, maybe the answer is, you know, drive. Maybe that's what the answer is. And now, of course, in, in today's day and age, we all have to film our, ourselves because that's apparently what she was doing. You know, she's sitting there and she's, she's making a video of herself sitting in her airplane seat while, you know, they're going ahead with the safety check and all these different things. But but once this starts to escalate, it's just like, lady, put the phone in your pocket, okay? And then just get the plane up in the air, all right? I mean, and I know what's happening. These flight attendants say, this woman's copped an attitude. She's nothing but trouble. And we don't want to get, you know, uh, we don't want to get up in the air and get 20 minutes into this flight and have the same problem having happening again. So they just simply say, okay, we're going to inconvenience, inconvenience everybody, including her, and she gets tossed off the plane. As far as a lawsuit, well, you can take, you can find lawyers that will, you know, sue for anything. But my guess is if she does that, I would say American Airlines should round up all the people who were inconvenienced because of her misbehavior and let them file a countersuit against her. Just saying. Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. Maybe this is reflective. Maybe maybe a better person than me would feel differently about this, but the story over the weekend that a 49-year-old guy died in the, the county jail uh, maybe maybe I should be a little bit more outraged, and, and they're not releasing the details yet. It, I mean, I don't know if it was natural causes or if it was a suicide or something like that. And obviously, there is a responsibility when someone is taken into custody that the, the people who run the jail have to make sure that nothing bad happens to them. But th- this story, um, boy, I tell you, if, if the, the guy who ended up passing away um, his name is Octaviano Juarez Coro. Um, he has been charged in connection with a shooting in South Shore Park in 2006 that killed two and injured five during a Memorial Day picnic. Now, I've been around long enough that I, I remember, you know, this this deal. He apparently, I mean, he showed up uninvited for a Memorial Day picnic, confronted his wife um, with whom he was in the final stages of a divorce, uh, demanded to see their three-year-old daughter. After being told he couldn't see her, he pulled out a handgun, demanded that five people at the party get down on their knees, and then shot them execution-style before they even had a chance to follow his instructions, according to the FBI. His wife suffered two gunshot wounds but survived but what ended up happening is you had two people who passed away and three who were seriously injured as a result of this. So this guy shows up at this park in 2006 and essentially executes or attempts to execute five people. All right, well, you might say, well, Jeff, you're talking about 2006. What happens? Well, it's after he commits the murder, he goes on the lam and heads back to Mexico. And, you know, he was gone long enough that he ended up being on the FBI's 10 most, wa- 10 most wanted list. And then um, 
uh, shortly after the FBI offered $100,000 in reward money um, for information leading to his arrest, he, he ended up getting caught in Mexico. And so what happened is he was extradited back here, and he was, again, facing charges, again, for the, the murder and the attempted murder of these three other people. So we, we, we don't know what happened in, in the jail, and I'm sure there'll be an investigation. And again, I, I just, when, when people, when you are taken into custody, there is responsibility on jail officials to make sure that, that you are housed safely. At the same time, in the grand scheme of things, if he ended up deciding that he didn't want to face justice, he ended up taking his life. Well, again, I think it's fair to say to the jail people, hey, we, we have to look at what you're doing and make sure that things like this don't happen. I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over somebody who tried to execute um, five people, ended up killing two and seriously injuring three more, and then was on the lam for the better part of a decade and a half. I'm not going to lose too much sleep over the fact that if he, in fact, had chosen to take his own life, that that's what happened. All right, here is the story. And again, this is another one I've been waiting all week to discuss with you. Uh, here's the deal, and the story comes from Florida, but it could just as easily come from southeast Wisconsin. 77-year-old guy, his name is Jerry Gilliant. He's terminally ill. About three weeks ago, he makes a pact. He goes to his wife, and he says, look, if my health does not improve, I want you to kill me. Her name is, is Ellen. His health continued to decline. And so he was in, in the hospital in this Advent Health Hospital in Daytona Beach. His health had continued to decline. Um, there was, I think the doctor said, it's, it's just kind of, it's a matter of time. That's what it is. So they had this pact. And the pact was that she was going to kill him, and then she was going to kill herself. So what happens is, a few nights ago, she goes, a few days, it's 11.30 in the morning, she goes to the hospital room, she brings a gun into the hospital. Now, how I don't know what the hospital's deal was, but she's 76 years old. How she gets the gun through security, I do not know. But she goes up to his room, and then in accordance with this agreement they had, she shoots him and kills him, fatally shoots him in the head. According to the story, she planned to fatally shoot herself as well, but according to the police chief, in the end, she could not go through it. She, she, couldn't, she couldn't kill herself. There's an hours-long standoff that, that happens because now she's in the, the hospital room. Her husband is dead. She's got the gun. She's not coming out. But um, ultimately, they throw in one of those, like, flashbang grenades that they have that makes this big sound. It goes off. They storm in, and, you know, they, they arrest her. There's no argument at all that there was, in fact, this, this, this pact and that he had wanted he had wanted her to kill him because he was the plan originally was he was going to kill himself but apparently he lacked the strength so according to the police chief she had to carry it out for him okay you be the prosecutor you be the judge and you be the jury in this case this is clearly an example of premeditated murder they planned this. I mean, she planned it out. She brought the gun there. She shot her 76-year-old husband. All right? So she clearly killed him. And then, like I say, the plan was that she was going to take her own life, and she wasn't able to do that. He's dead. She is alive. 
what do you do with her? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. You could prosecute her for murder. You could prosecute her for variations of murder. Do you prosecute her? Do you put her in jail? She was doing what her husband wanted her to do. She was doing what they agreed to do. And you assume those those to be the, the facts. What do you do in a case like this? What do you do with 76-year-old, uh, with the 76-year-old wife? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Okay, so quick recap. 77-year-old guy, 76-year-old wife. He is terminally ill. He, he, he wants to end it all. He's, and they, he and his wife make this pact about three weeks before, I think last weekend, that, look, if, if I'm not getting better, I, I, I want you to kill me. She says, I don't want to live without you. If you're going to go, I'm going to go. So he, he, his condition deteriorates. He's in the hospital last Saturday. She brings a gun in. He wants to kill himself but doesn't have the strength to do it. That tells you how bad off he is. He begs her to kill him. She kills him and then can't can't kill herself. So there's this standoff. The cops ultimately bust in. They arrest her. She's 76 years old. What do you do? What do you do with this? And I'll share some of the text and the phone calls in just a minute. But I, I guess... For for people who say, okay, well, you, you've got a charge, or it's murder. Yeah, it, it is murder. But but tell me, are are you going to are you going to put this woman in prison for for the rest of her life? Um, are, are you going to get if if he goes to trial, are you going to get a jury that's going to look at the seventy six year old woman who comes out and says, oh, this my husband and I we were married, we had we raised four or five kids, and you know this is he was the true love of my life, and if you saw him in this particular condition, I, I just he, he was begging me to do this, and so I, I did it. You're going you're to put are you going to put her in prison for the the rest of 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 her life, however long that might be? How do you handle a situation like this? Um, Jeff, murder charge, trial, found guilty, go to prison just like any other murderer, no exception. Jeff, I can only have compassion for her. The story is so sad. Jeff, prosecute for whatever is closest to a mercy killing or assisted suicide for whatever law they have in Florida, and then put her in a minimum security work release type of program where she can do uh, community service for the rest of her life. Jeff, interesting case. I think you prosecute for murder, but instead of going to prison, she goes to nursing home with uh, an ankle bracelet on. Jeff, I would put her on probation. Well, that's kind of an interesting response. Jeff, you arrest her, charge her with murder, plain and simple. The law is the law. Jeff, unfortunately, it's still murder. I think they should drop it down to manslaughter, but she still needs to be charged. You can't make packs to kill each other. Let's start with um, Brian in Watertown. Brian, you're first. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Yeah, some of that is already covering sort of what I have to to say here, but you could easily argue it that it was an assisted suicide, mm-hmm. even if assisted suicide isn't allowed in Florida. But the other question is, is it really murder if the one being killed is A, asking for it, and B, agreeing to it being done? Is that really murder yet? Well, I mean, I think you would argue that it's the you know premeditated, unlawful taking of of life, um, because in most cases, you know, suicide isn't legal. But that, that's an, you know, that is an interesting question. If let's change the facts a little. Let's say that he did have the strength 
to kill himself. She brings the gun in and gives him the gun, and then he he kills himself. Would we charge her as an accessory to a crime for doing what he wanted to do? I mean, it's it's I mean, it's a fascinating real world sort of situation. Yeah, and if she brings the gun and gives it to him, that's no different than me having a gun in my house that gets used for something. I'm still held liable for it, so that wouldn't hold up so well in you know for her defense but um again yeah. if somebody's asking for it and agreeing to it does it really meet the definition of murder yeah well thanks for call brian what well, i think that i mean no no i i get it and i think that's i mean it's a practical question you know i mean that, that's something ultimately for a jury to decide but even if you find a, a lesser version of a like voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, or something. I guess the question for me becomes, wh- what do you do with her? I mean, you know, and I've got some people, lots of people are texting me saying, put her in prison for, for life. She took a life. Well, okay, is that, as a practical matter, under these circumstances, is that the, the best use of, of taxpayer resources? I mean, it's not like she... It's not like she poses a, a threat to the community. And I guess, I, I mean, I, I can just easily imagine some jurors putting themselves in this, this same situation. And again, this this isn't, sometimes you get the, these facts that become difficult. Well, well, was the guy really terminally ill? Was there really this agreement? In this case, there, there's no question. He, he was terminally ill, was not going to, if, if she would have just waited, uh, I mean, I think a couple days, this I think he would have just passed on his own on his, on his own terms, and then of course you you don't have this issue. But he just couldn't stand to suffer. She couldn't stand to see him suffer. I mean, I just I have to tell you, however they resolve it with charges, I just I don't see any way I don't see any way at all that she gets anything other than probation. I mean, I don't know what point you would have in putting her in prison based on these fact circumstances that aren't likely to repeat. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Jay in Green Bay. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. You remember Dr. Kevorkian? Sure. I do. Suicide and stuff. So my thought is that this is assisted suicide, whether she, whatever instrument she used, whether she'd have been on life support, and pull the plug, is that murder or is it assisted suicide? I go with assisted suicide, whatever the law is that pertains to suicide. Yeah, well, Jay, thanks for the call. I mean, I don't, I look, I, I'm not a Florida lawyer, and I don't pretend to, to be one on the radio. I don't think there is a law. I mean, I don't think assist, there's only a handful of states where assisted suicide is legal. And in those cases, it's it's very, very regulated. You just can't go in and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm ready to go, shoot me. I mean, it's a, it's a procedure where you have to go through you know, a whole process of talking to different doctors and you have to get a diagnosis and then it, it's it's done under supervision. It's not just like I'm going to walk into a hospital room, I'm going to smuggle a gun into my spouse's hospital room and pull the trigger. But but again, under there there is the law. And I think, again, you can make a very, very strong case here that regardless of the intent that was, regardless of her intent, that a crime was, was committed, whether it's premeditated homicide or whether it's something else I, I clearly there was a crime committed but this is one of those difficult things because you try to say what what is justice in a situation like this is justice taking a 76 year old woman who's lost her her life mate you know um, who, who've been together um, who was in the final stages of a terminal illness and whom they had made a, a pact that hey you know take my own life um, 
before so I don't have to go through this suffering anymore. Is justice sending her to, to prison or something for that? And I'm having a lot of trouble with the idea that that would be justice. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I work with the elderly. And you know what? Um, a lot of people, I think, have a lot of gumption yeah, to, 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 to even think that, you know, oh, well, we'll send her to prison. Well, you know what? If you spend enough time with your parents or your loved ones, and, and they've been married long enough and, you know, can't live without each other or are in so much pain, um, you know, that that's a pact or that's something they did and agreed together. And it, it's not a God thing. It's not. It's something that they've agreed. And, uh, you know, you can go to any nursing home you want and watch people suffer. So I, yeah. I've just... You know, I just think it's it's so sad. And until you're in their shoes, you really don't know, you know, and uh, And, and to put in jail. I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was that, that was kind of my point. It's just I, I don't know what you accomplish by doing that. We we send people to prison for all sorts of reasons. Rehabilitation, no, that, that's not a factor here. We send them people, because we want to, yeah, we want to send a message to other people. That's not a factor. Yeah. Let's send those kids to jail or, you know, those people to jail who, who, you know, do stuff like that. But this, this, you know, couple, you know, when, when he's begging because he's in so much pain, uh, you know, and doctors aren't going to do anything. So, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's a pact that they made and it's going to happen more and more as time goes on. Because Okay, but let me ask you this older. question, Chris. If, if you don't do anything, are you just green lighting other people to do the same thing under circumstances that might be a little less compelling. This is a pretty compelling case. Absolutely. You know, he's he's in the last stages. Okay, I agree. I think so. I think there. And if it isn't already, it's you know, and and that's fine. Whatever, whatever you know, you whatever happens. But it is going to, I think, eventually turn out where there's going to be somebody who's going to have the capabilities to do this for a loved one um, in the medical field. And there already is, whether you talk hospice or other medical groups. Um, and even with my parents, I, we, we already have talked about it. We've got it set up, and that's the way it is because they, they know what their life was, and they don't want to live. Um, God, it's so painful. How, how, how can no. you do it? You know? No, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's no, it's 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 an absolutely horrible sort of story. There's no question about that. Okay, thanks for the call, Chris. I appreciate. It. I mean, I I don't know. Right now, the prosecutors are in the process of trying to make the decision to to figure out what they're going to do. It's a it's just a very very bad circumstance. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. As we've been telling you in the news all day, um, Potawatomi Casino, it's kind of the end of an era. They, they've announced that their, their Northern Lights Theater, which has been their, their showroom, that has been open for a couple decades, that, that is now going to close. Apparently, the last show was last weekend or something. Interestingly enough, Herman's Hermits with Peter Noon, who, whenever they do their performances at State Fair Park, always just pack the place you know um but so that they are closing the northern lights theater and they're going to take that area and they're going to turn it into a a sports a sports book because now the as part of like the new 
agreements. Um, Indian tribes can offer sports betting. You can't open up a, a non-Indian on any place other than like a casino owned by Indians. You, you can't open one up, but um, you're now going to allow it to offer sports betting. So they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer sports betting, and we're going to turn this into a sports book, and we're going to use this. We're hoping that people who can't get tickets to, I don't know, see the Bucks are going to come here and watch the game, and by the way, they, they can bet on it. Uh, one thing I don't know from the stories is whether or not they're going to bring back their, their race book, which is that is to say that they're also going to offer betting on horse racing and things like that. Up until COVID, they had a, a very active race book as well and a lot of times in las vegas you've got the sports book and you've got the race book that's attached to it i, I don't know the stories i'm seeing don't make any don't, don't make any reference to that but that's that's what the future is going to be they hope to have it open by the end of the year interestingly whenever i think about their their northern lights theater though i have fond and somewhat strange memories because i went through a period of time and I, i'm not proud to say this but it seemed like I would go see a performer do their show, and then the performer would die. And it was, I, I, just, I don't know how else to, to explain it. Um, Levon Helm, who was the, the drummer for the band, you know, Bob Dylan and the band, well, he, was, um, he performed at Northern Lights, and, and he, was, he was sick. He was fighting cancer, and you know, he, he had the Levon Helm band there, and, and I, I got a chance to see him. It was a great show, and then a few months later, he passes away. Greg Allman from the Allman Brothers Band, he did a show, I want to say it was like 2015 at the Northern Lights Theater, and then, you know, a year later, he passes away from, you know, whatever. Don Rickles, same thing. Don Rickles w- was there, and then Don Rickles passed away. I-, I kind of felt like I was just this sort of, like, flying Dutchman who I, I decided just th- these older performers and stuff, I just wasn't going to go see him at Northern Lights anymore because I thought that I was maybe, maybe I was the connection. It might have been some more than that, but I, I just thought the Northern Lights Theater, by the way, was a great place to see shows, an absolutely great place to see shows, but time does change. All right, here's the story, and Connie alluded to this during the the news, but I've got a couple specific things that I want to discuss about it. You know, another day, another police chase, another person dead. Here's here's the story. Yesterday, about 7.20 in the evening, um, what happens is there is a report of an armed robbery, and the, the police get a description of the car that's been involved in the armed robbery. So about uh, less than 10 minutes later, they, they see the car that's been involved in, in the armed robbery, and the car, I believe, is stolen. And so this is on like 11th and Center, if you can picture downtown area Milwaukee. So the police see this car that's just been involved in the last 10 minutes in an armed robbery. They begin to chase the car. They put on, of course, the bubble lights, pull over. And as we, we know nowadays, nobody you know pulls over for the police. They decide to take off. So what happens is car hits the accelerator, tries to pull away. The, the, the quote-unquote chase doesn't last very long because um, what happens is they get to the area of, well, somewhere on, on North Avenue and like 11th Street. So you're really only talking about the difference between like center and north. And the, the car blows into this intersection and hits a, a vehicle that's in, in, in the intersection. And so what happens is the passenger of the vehicle that's in the intersection 
47-year-old man, he's killed as a result of, of this collision. The driver of the car, taken to the hospital, is expected to survive. As often happens, all five of the people in the stolen vehicle responsible for the armed robbery, fleeing from the police, all five of them are expected to survive their injuries in the crash. So they they end up walking away from this particular thing. The police show up. They take five people into custody. Like I say, there's five people driving in the stolen car. They find a, a gun that is in the car. The age ranges of the five people that are in the car. Now, I, okay, so there's five. So I want you to just kind of imagine you know, what you think might be the oldest, who might be the youngest. Don't call in, but just, just imagine that. Okay, got the image, oldest, youngest. Oldest in the car, 15. Youngest, 13. So I, I don't have the breakdown of who, how many were 15 and how many were 13, and I don't know whether it was the 15-year-old that was driving or whether it was the 13-year-old that was driving or whether there was a 14-year-old, but, but you understand what's going on here. You have five people, none of whom have reached the age of 16, who have been involved in an armed robbery. They're in a stolen car. They're fleeing the cops at a high rate of speed. They slam into a car, and now somebody is dead. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, there's a couple different aspects of of this story that, that I want to discuss. But I want to start first with accountability. We are having a conversation right now about building a new juvenile facility to detain juveniles. And they want to build it. They're going to build it on the northwest side. The approvals have started to be issued. The facility that they are going to build is going to have 32 beds in it. It will be full the minute it is built. So now you have five people, stolen car, armed robbery, high-speed chase, one person dead. My point is, is there any reason at all, if you don't want to treat some of these kids as adults and wave them into adult court, is there any reason at all why all five of these kids shouldn't have to go to some form of detention? If you don't like the fact that you wave them into adult court and you deal with that, fine. But, but don't, don't we need to have consequences for this sort of behavior? And putting any of these people on probation or double secret probation or here we're, we're going to give you two weeks of detention. There is somebody that's dead. High-speed chase, armed robbery, it would seem to me that every one of those five people in that car, ages 13 to 15, regardless of whether you treat them as an adult or you treat them as a juvenile, they need to go away. And maybe, maybe again, they, they need to go away for two or three years in detention as a juvenile. Okay, but don't every single one of those kids need to go away, if nothing else, number one, to protect the rest of us from them, and number two, to send a message that there's going to be some degree of accountability. And if those five need to go away, explain to me why in God's green earth we are building a facility that only has room for 32 people. We could probably build a facility that had room for 500, and it wouldn't be big enough. 855-616-1620, whether it's Adults treating them as adult and sending them to prison, or whether by waving them into adult court or sending them to a juvenile detention facility, doesn't every single one of these five need to be in some form of 
detention? My answer would be, of course. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's see. Here, here's my guess what happens. Whoever, whichever one of these you know, progressively educated juvenile delinquents was driving the car, fleeing from the cops who then hits and, and kills the, the 47-year-old guy who is, again, you know, a passenger in a car that happens to be in an intersection when all this happens. Uh, that that person is in all likelihood going to be waived into adult court because they've killed somebody. And even in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, you, you can't turn a blind eye to that. But the, the other the other four who were involved in an, an armed robbery, at least as parties to a crime, who were involved in leading the police on a chase, all four of those other people, if you don't waive them into adult court, they, they still need to be behind bars, and I'm using that phrase in quotation marks, but I need they, they need to be off the street, and they need to be off the street for a couple years because we, we have to send somehow send a message that this is not tolerable. You can't have 14-year-olds that are going out participating in armed robberies and then fleeing from the police where somebody ends up getting killed, right? Every one of these four needs to be off the streets, whether it's as adults or in a juvenile detention facility, if nothing else to protect us. Why are why do we mollycoddle these these criminals? It's not like it was back in the Andy Griffith days when you know the, the big crime was you know Opie went out and TP'd somebody's house. These are people that are committing armed robberies, stealing cars, fleeing from the cops, and people are dying. And I don't I wish I had a better answer to this, but part of it is all right. Once they do this stuff, you gotta get them off the streets, don't you? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to. Uh, let's start with uh, Tom. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Morning. Well, good afternoon, Jeff. Say, Hi, uh, Tom. Back in the old days, that, uh, I, I always thought that uh, when you're in the commission of a felony and you cause a death, you can you're tagged with murder or a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a cause of a death. Yeah. And, well, yeah. You- I, I mean, you, theoretically, yeah. I mean, theoretically, the, the district attorney could, I think, try to treat all of them, including the thirteen-year-olds, as as adults, and say, "Okay, you're all party to a crime of murder or whatever." Now, in the real world, though, he's probably not. I, I doubt he's probably going to do it. He'll do it just because uh, you know you have the idea of right that yeah, it's thirteen. I guess my only point is, regardless of whether you treat them as adults or treat them as juveniles, they need to be off the street. You you can't just put people right. on probation who've done stuff like this. But this this yeah. this adding the the death charge on there or cause of death charge on there, this is a big one. Yeah. No, I I agree. No, Tom. Thank, thanks for calling. And again, I mean. I guess I just think you my points and the bigger point here is we we have to one of the reasons why why kids who deserve to be taken off the streets, removed from their homes, punished by being sent into some form of incarceration off the streets. One of the reasons is well, we don't have the space. Well, I, OK, I, I get it. You know, you're, we're going to build a new facility that only houses 32 people. I got five who should be going there right away. You know, they, they should be charter members. It's just, it is crazy to me that we were building a facility so small. We, again, 350 probably isn't enough. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, you're on WTMJ. Thank you for taking my call. 
Um, sure. I'm in agreement with you, but I also think they need to make restitution. I mean, there's been too many of these uh, crimes happening, and they all get a slap on the hand. You know, if it's well, okay, what Andrew, I, like. Okay, but, but let me ask you a question. I, I don't agree. I don't disagree with you saying with restitution, but you've got a 14-year-old kid. Let's say a 14-year-old kid who's stolen a car, been involved in an armed robbery. Now somebody is dead. Where, where, where is that person? My guess is they, they don't have a pot to you know what in. I mean, you, you can say, okay, you, you have to pay the family of the victim, you know, $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever. You could say $10 and it's probably not collectible. That's the problem with the, the restitution. Well, I guess they have to find some way of working it off whether it takes the rest of their life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for calling, Emory. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, see, that that's not, I guess restitution isn't to deter. I, I get I get on my soapbox about this when it comes to like giving giving track it, traffic tickets. Okay, reckless driving. You know the you get you get a ticket for three hundred dollars and you get points on your license. And, and my point that doesn't make any difference. The the vast majority of people who are getting reckless driving tickets they don't care about the tickets. They don't if they have a driver's license. Well, chances are it's probably, my guess is 85% of the people don't have driver's licenses. Some have never had a driver's license. They could care less about that. And you give them a $300 ticket or whatever, hey, just scrunch it up and throw it in the back seat. And we, we don't lock people up anymore for failure to pay fines. I mean, just giving giving somebody a ticket. Now, for you or me, giving them a ticket, oh, geez, I, I mean, I, I, I have insurance on my car. If I get a, if I get a moving violation, that's going to jack up my insurance, and that's going to be a deal. So that might be a deterrent to you. It might be a deterrent to me. But for the people that are stealing cars at gunpoint and driving, fleeing from the police and driving through intersections at high rates of speed, restitution, tickets, it, it's just that doesn't work. Our society is breaking down around us, and that's why there, there needs to be, I think, much more accountability. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, you know, what I think is that, uh, like you said, clapping up, spanking them on the hand, that ain't going to help. Uh, they're going to build a new jail that houses, what, 32 people. Uh, whoever whoever said yes to that, or yay or day, whoever said yay to that, uh, they may need to get another job because it, 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 it ain't going to work. It's not enough room. you you got to have something uh, to deter them, to, first of all, because, I mean, you're going to build a state-of-the-art jail. Well, who don't mind going there? they got color TV. they got, you know, they, they, they got the best yeah. of meals. It, it's, not, it's not jail. It's, it's like a, you know, you're going to a, a country club, really. And, well, and they don't mind going there. I mean, they, no. they don't mind going there. They don't mind. No, hey John, thanks for calling. No, you're right. In some cases, it's almost a status sort of thing. Here's an interesting. I'm, I'm getting swamped with texts. I'm sorry, I've been bad today. We've got a lot of phone calls, and I, I haven't read as many of the texts as we've got coming in. Jeff, unfortunately, the problem lies in the court system. My son is currently in prison, and it took that to have him change his ways. Luckily, he will get out and have a long road ahead of him. But until these young men start learning that there are consequences, absolutely nothing will change. And, and that's that's exactly it. I mean, you look at, what do they estimate? About 50% of the car thefts in the city of Milwaukee are, are by people like under the age of 15, something like that. Um, and, and, and it's repeaters. It's people who get caught and they're told, don't do it again. They're, in the, the Kia Boys video, I mean, remember that? They're, they're saying, well, even, even if we get caught, 
And, you know, you don't get caught nine times out of ten. But even if we get caught, you're, you're in juvenile detention for 48 hours, and then you're out on the streets doing it again. There's no deterrent at all. And when I see this story, every one of these punks should be behind bars. And I'm not necessarily arguing you take every one of them and you put them in adult court. The kid who was driving is definitely going to get waved into adult court and should be and will probably do at least 10 or 15 years in prison. That is the right sentence. But for all the other people that were a party to this crime, they need to be off the streets as well. And if it means we got to build a bigger juvenile facility to protect the rest of us from them, Build a bigger juvenile facility. We've got all this surplus money sitting around. I think that almost everybody would agree that that would be a good use of money to build bigger facilities so we can make ourselves safer from the criminals that are on the street. Okay, there's another aspect of of this story involving the, the five juveniles who were involved in the armed robbery and then a high-speed chase and they slam into a car and a 47-year-old man is killed. There's another aspect of this, and I I don't want to read too much into it. There's a number of accounts of this on the local TV stations, and the the, the Journal Sentinel has has their description of this. And and interestingly, in the story that the Journal Sentinel has, they they spend a couple paragraphs at the end talking about the, the police's pursuit policy. And... In, in this particular case, regardless of whether it was Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett, who had a very limited police pursuit policy, or the, the more liberal one now, liberal being allowing the police to more aggressively chase cars under different circumstances, that this would have been a chase that they would have been allowed to do. But, but let's, let's review the bidding for just a minute. Again, 7.20 or so, there's a call that there's an armed robbery that has occurred. And the police have a description of the car. The car is stolen. They see the car on about 11th and center. Okay, so bubble lights come on. They try to pull the car over. The car takes off. Now, as chases go, this does not last very long. It goes from 11th and center to uh, 20th and north. So it's not very far. And what, what happens is... The, the way I understand it, the car driven by, in this case, it's five juveniles fleeing the cops. That, that's heading down um, North Avenue, going west. And the car that, this, um, the, the car that, that ends up getting hit is, is going, I think, north on 20th. So, and then, of course, there's the collision, slams into the passenger side of the vehicle, and the 47-year-old passenger is dead. Hor- horrible situation. The, I, I guess what some people would argue is that the police should not have chased in the first place. That once the car decides it's going to flee, once the driver of the car decides they're going to take off, what you should do is just let them go. You know, you, you can try to get as much information as you have, but of course, I mean, the, the car is stolen, so you know it's going to be ditched at some point in time. Um, but rather than trying to chase the car, which might inspire the bad guy who is driving the car, who's decided that they're going to run in the first place to drive in an even more reckless fashion, and then put 
other people's lives at risk because, again, here you have this car that's just literally in the wrong place at the wrong time when these five kids driving the stolen car, fleeing from the cops after an armed robbery, happen to go through the intersection and smash into it. And, you know, we, we hear these stories all the time. And, and occasionally it is the driver of the stolen car who's fleeing from police who kills themselves, you know, when they smash into another car or they lose control and they smash into a utility pole or they smash into a tree or whatever. And that is unfortunate because you never like to see a loss of life. But at the same time, that's, that's kind of what you've chosen when you've decided to run. Unfortunately, though, the story a lot of times is what happened here. You've got the completely innocent bystander who's just a passenger in the car. You've got the right of way, and all of a sudden these, this car, stolen car driven by these punks, blows through and you've got a 47 year old man who's dead and you've got the driver of the vehicle who's in serious condition in the hospital so the argument would be the cops should just let them go they shouldn't chase at all because when you chase you do run the risk that there is going to be that that person driving 855-616-1620 that is the old national bank talk and text line okay let let's let us tee this up because now it seems like everybody runs. This is, this is just the way this happens. Everybody runs from the police. Would we be better off not trying to catch them, just letting the people go? 855-616-1620. That's the um, old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I'll give you my take um, on this before we take the break. I... I don't think the cops have any choice but to chase. I, I mean, first of all, when you see a car, that's, a lot of times they, they chase because it's reckless driving. Okay, when you see a car that's going 80 miles an hour and blowing through red lights, if you don't try to pull them over, what you, you think they're going to stop driving 80 miles an hour and, and try and go in through red lights? No. Secondly, in a situation where you have a car that is stolen, that you have information and has been belongs has been involved in an armed robbery. How can you just let those people get away? I would argue you can't. And I understand that the collateral damage here is the fact that occasionally you're going to have pedestrians or you're going to have innocent people in cars who end up getting hurt and killed. Well, okay, when that happens, it's not the fault of the police. To me, it's the fault of the bad guys. And in this particular case, assuming for the sake of argument, it was a 15-year-old that was driving it, he should probably spend the next 20 years of his life in prison for what he's done. It doesn't bring the 47-year-old man back, but I just don't think you can let people run from the cops without doing everything you possibly can to have them taken into custody. Because if you don't, all you know is that there's, they're going to be out there continuing to do it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's start with Jessica in Milwaukee. Jessica, good afternoon. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Okay, well, I don't think that the police should be chasing after kids. I know it's a unfortunate thing that's happening, but like a child's brain isn't even all the way developed. So they're already in a flight or fight mode. So they're going to do crazy stuff. So I feel like chasing them is going to make it a more dangerous situation. And I also think that like we need to have preventative measures because like kids don't just go steal cars to do it for 
fun and this and that. Usually there's circumstances leading up to that. Let me back up with you, Jessica. Let me back up with the first thing. In most cases, the cops don't know it's 15-year-olds. All, all they know, so last night, for example, you get a report, there's been an armed robbery, stolen car, this is the description of the car, you see the car and the car takes off. They, they don't know if it's, if it's two 40-year-olds or if it's uh, some 14-year-olds. So would you say then we just don't true. chase, period? Well, I would say it's circumstantial sometimes, but I think it's kind of dangerous to chase. Obviously, we have a problem with kids stealing cars right now, and I think that we need to focus on that more than after the fact. Like, well, well okay. Well, what what would you education do? is important and rehabilitation. Well, well sure. Is I mean, what? Well, I mean, but I mean, of course, we. What would you What would you do? So let's say you've got a situation where somebody calls and says these two fifteen year olds just just stole my car at gunpoint. Here's the car. Here's the description. The police see the car. Uh, three, you know, five minutes later, they put on the bubble lights and the car takes off at ninety five miles an hour. You would have the cops just let them go. I wouldn't have them let them go. I'd hope that I'd get a description, and obviously they're going to ditch the car, and hopefully mm-hmm. they can get fingerprints. But I'm thinking about the community, and, like, car accidents are bound to happen. If They're like, okay, two 15-year-olds just try to arm rob somebody. Well, you know they're armed, so they're already doing things that are kind of crazy. So is it a good and wise decision to chase them, too? I don't really think so. Okay, well, thanks and for I perspective. I also think that, like, yeah. No, no, okay, no, thanks for your perspective. No, I, I, I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I appreciate the perspective. The, the, to me, it's, it's like, okay, why? You say they're, they're not developed, their brains aren't developed and stuff. No, well, they're developed enough to stick a gun in somebody's face and to, to rob it. They're developed enough to go as part of a gang and go on this, this crime spree of stealing cars. And, I mean, look, I, I understand, with all due respect, it sounds nice to say, okay, well, you try to get a description and you can hope you can catch them down the line. That, that ain't going to happen. That, that's just, that is just the reality that, that we're dealing with. So... Now, a number of people are texting, and they're, they are making the point that part of the problem is that there's no accountability. So, you know, why chase them? Why arrest them if the DA's office isn't going to prosecute them or juvenile judges are going to just turn them loose back out on the street? And that's a whole different story. But, but I understand that. But I just I don't think you can turn a blind eye to criminals and say, okay, we're going to let you go because – you're, you're not going to, to stop them. Okay, so they, they've stolen the one car. They're driving 90 miles an hour to, to get away from you, and they're going to crack up that car. Or you've got a lot of people that are stealing cars nowadays that are they're taking them out on high-speed joy rides. So we just say, oh, there's a car going 90 miles an hour. Let's let it go. You know, we, we tried the don't chase thing under Tom Barrett and, and Ed Flynn five years ago, and it didn't work. All it did was it increased that the drug dealers started operating out of mobile drug houses because they knew the cops wouldn't run. And, and here's the other thing. The vast majority of times when, when people there, – there's two types of chases. First of all, there's that you get the report, the car's going 95 miles an hour, it's stolen. Okay, we're, we're going to get it off the street. And related to that, cars involved in armed robbery, bank just got robbed here. We're, we're going to try to catch – the, the bad guys. And, and I, just, I just don't think you could take the attitude that we're just going to let people drive off. Now, you always have to be mindful of the fact that, okay, where is the chase? What are the risks? But you can't let the bad guys be the one that necessarily dictates that. The second type of chase that happens a lot is you don't know why the person ran. 
All right, so you're, you know, you're the police officers driving and they notice there's a tail light out or expired tags or whatever. You, you think it's going to be a routine traffic stop. Boom, all of a sudden the car flees at 90 miles an hour. You know, do you just say, okay, I'm going to let it go because I don't know why the person's running? I mean, there could be three bodies in the trunk, for goodness sakes. I mean, you just, you just don't know that. This could be somebody who's wanted for murder and that's why they're, they're running away. You just, you don't know any of those things, which is why, you, I don't think law enforcement has any choice but to try to chase and to try to apprehend people. Uh, Nancy in Burlington. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, this whole thing is ridiculous. Um, They need to chase them. Even if all they they do is get a handgun off the street, they need to build a bigger juvenile facility for like maybe Mm -hmm. three or four hundred kids. And and you need to take away from them what they took from somebody else, whether it's a vehicle, a life. Um, I yes, they have yeah. immature frontal lobes, but are we talking about an ADHD kid or a kid who has just absolutely a- no morals? Yeah, and, and thanks for calling, Nancy. And again, keep in mind that the other thing, and I was trying to make the point a little bit with, with our, our first caller, Jessica, that most time you don't know. I mean, you don't know what you have. Like, like yesterday, the cops, all right, there's been an armed robbery. This is a stolen car. You see the car. You, you don't know if it's a 15-year-old driving it. All you know, it's a car that's just taken off and is running from you. You, you. you have no idea what you are confronting. Now, oftentimes, it does turn out to be juveniles, which is a whole different you know, story. And, I, and look, I'm not one of these people. I'm not smart enough to figure out what the early intervention is. I, I don't. And and I'm all in favor of seeing what you can do to try to discourage people from stealing cars and from robbing people at gunpoint in the first place. I and come up with plans to do that. I'm all in favor of it. I'm just saying that once that Rubicon, once that river has been crossed, and you've made, decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to steal the car at gunpoint, or I'm going to lead the police on a high speed chase. At that point in time, you've you've made the decision, and you've forced the hand of law enforcement authorities, which is to try to get you off the street. Jeff, I totally agree with you. I've lived in Milwaukee um, for um, all my 69 years. As a homeowner, I worked all my life. I never thought I would say this, but the rapid decline of Milwaukee, especially the last few years, has me wanting to move. Many neighbors on my block feel the same way, and most of us have been here 30 years or more. Soon there will be no middle class left in Milwaukee. Well, this, I mean, see, for people who would argue, just let the thieves go away. And and maybe we can catch them down the line. Maybe maybe we can't. Maybe we'll find fingerprints in the car or whatever. But if you let them get away, they will continue to steal cars. That That's just, I guarantee it, that's what we've seen happen. See, I don't believe that every 15-year-old in the city of Milwaukee is out there stealing cars. I believe it's a comparatively small number, but they're stealing car after car after car, and those are the people that we have to get off the street. But if you just let them do that, say, okay, we're, we're going to let criminals run amok, well, then, then it becomes escape from New York. Let's be honest. Then let's just build a fence, you know, around, you know, the, the city of Milwaukee, for example, and say, okay, everybody who enters, you enter at your own risk because we, we've got this degree of lawlessness. There needs to be a degree of accountability. And I, my heart goes out, I, you know, as somebody who talks about crime issues on a regular basis, you know, we could do 
chase from the that that is the standard thing police made this apprehension and it always followed a chase and unfortunately when there's crashes it's a lot of times it's not the bad guys but rather it's some innocent person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time and i i understand the frustration that people have with that i have that frustration as well but the truth of the matter is when you hear those stories, the only people that are responsible for it are the people who made the decision to, number one, commit the crime, and then, number two, book to take off and run on the police. Um, now, a number of people are saying this is why you need to start prosecuting parents. Good parenting would stop these idiots. I, you know, and I, I, I mean, we've talked about this before on the program as well. I, I think there needs to be ways to hold the parents accountable, but... Because, I mean, the, the story about one of these, these teenagers that was shot the other night, it was like one thirty in the morning on a weeknight. And, and you know, what, what are you doing? What's a teenager doing out on the street? But the, the problem is that to the extent that in some cases that there are parents, those parents are completely punched out and have no interest in the kids' lives. Those parents are part of the problem because when the kid gets caught and gets sent in the juvenile justice system, they just get you know sent back to the, the same parents who don't care about the kid in the first place. So you, you say you hold the parents accountable. There's only so much you can do. Remember last summer we, we had this big press conference, oh, we're going to start issuing fines to parents for curfew violations and to the kids and and i think the last time i checked there have been maybe like 10 curfew violation tickets that have been issued to either the parents or the kids i mean it's all lip service and i guess here's here's what has to happen first of all the state legislature needs to take a real long look at the juvenile justice code and really i think revamp it for the type of crimes that are being committed now but then you need a commitment from the da's office and from the judges and it's got to come from the politicians as well saying okay look we've got the communities back because right now all i hear is lip service i hear outrage every time there's one of these chases and then two days later it's the same thing all over and over again it's deja vu all over again nothing is getting better and that should be outrageous to most people live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show now here's wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the show okay so saturday night i found myself in that situation where i was yelling at the television set my wife says jeff you're yelling at the television set don't you realize that the television set can't hear you the television set does not care doesn't matter i'm yelling at the television set no i i'm not watching sports going oh my god it's third and it's third and ten why are third and four why are you throwing a 40 yard pass no 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 it wasn't that i was watching of all things cnn why were you watching cnn jeff that doesn't sound like your saturday nights no i was watching cnn because they've been running this special on rudy giuliani and they were going to i missed a couple episodes and they were going to rerun it so i wanted to i wanted to see the special on rudy, rudy giuliani that that takes it from you know his days in the u.s attorney's office and I, I knew him back then and then you know through mayor and then through you know the post mayor years and then you know the craziness of the last couple of years i want to watch it so i Tune in thinking I'm going to watch this thing on Rudy Giuliani, and they have a special on the breaking news is Atlanta is on fire. And if if you haven't been following this story, what's happened is down in Atlanta, Atlanta has become the target for Antifa, for these these organized eco-terrorists, anti-cops, 
hardcore left-wing fringe has gone after Atlanta. Atlanta is building, in downtown Atlanta, they're building a, a big police training facility. And the extreme left-wing activists, they call it Cop City, and, and they, they don't want this there. So there's been, they've been camped out in this little plot of land in the area where they're, they're building the thing. And um, there have been a variety of protests that have been going on. Well, what happened on Wednesday is that one of, one of these protesters, uh, again, a guy who I, I think, you know, is Antifa, um, 26-year-old guy, he apparently, you know, was at this Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. He's armed. The police uh, tell him that, okay, you know, you, you got to leave. And according to the police, now you can decide whether they're telling the truth, but I believe the police, uh, this individual, without warning, shoots a Georgia State Patrol trooper. The Georgia State Patrol trooper was wearing a bulletproof vest, shot in the abdomen. The law enforcement officer, he's in stable condition, recovering from surgery. But surprise follows surprise. You take a pot shot at a cop, other cops are going to respond. Other law enforcement personnel returned fire in self-defense and evacuated the trooper to a safe area. The individual who fired upon law enforcement and shot the trooper was killed in exchange of the gunfire guy that was killed is a 26 year old named manuel esteban paez Turan, otherwise known as tortuguita little turtle in spanish all right so he's part of this, this group of these these protesters so what happens is they decide okay we're going to stage a protest on Saturday night um, in downtown Atlanta to protest the fact that, you know, our, our comrade has been killed. And so the, the protest starts out, as a lot of these do, you know, peacefully. But then what happens is it takes a violent turn, a, a really violent turn, where you have, again, the, the firebombings and windows being busted out and confrontations with the police and, you know, looting and stuff like that that, that goes on. Well, it, I'm watching this description on CNN, and one of the things that they are reporting is as they're starting to make arrests, a number of the people who are arrested are from out of state. And CNN has this liberal activist who's on and say, well, what difference does it make if they're local people or they're people from out of state? I mean, these are people that are, are protesting, you know, the, the, the police complex and stuff. And so who cares if they're coming? You know, these are people who are dedicated to trying to change the world. And, of course, I'm screaming at the TV going, no, these are nothing but, in this case, it's out-of-state troublemakers who are there for the intention of they don't care about the community. They don't care about the city. They're there to try to burn the thing down because it makes them feel better. New York Post, and I'll actually post a link to this story, that the New York Post is starting to go through, and they're listing some of the people that have been arrested. Now, as of the other day, they'd only arrested six people. You look at all this violence and these riots, how you can only arrest six people is beyond me. But of the people that have been arrested, it, it turns out that these are those professional leftist agitators who have just devoted their life to trying to destroy things. So here's some of the people that were arrested in Atlanta. Francis Carroll, 22, not from Atlanta, not even from Georgia. He's from Maine. 
Carroll was already out on bail for a, dom- for a domestic terrorism arrest at the Atlanta Autonomous Zone last month. He is the son of a yacht-sailing multimillionaire family and hails from the wealthy main city of Kenny Bunkport, also home to former President George W. Bush. Carroll, who lived in his parents' mansion before going to Atlanta, was among six um, people arrested, charged with domestic terrorism on December 13th, following a string of property attacks in the area, a carjack and assaults on officers, all were bailed out by activists who crowdfunded their legal defense using Twitter. So this is one of the guys that's arrested last night. Madeline Henri Fiola, 22, of Spokane, Washington. Um, she is a, this is the description, a trans non-binary activist and a 2022 alumna of Oberlin College where um, she studied archaeological studies with a focus on decolonization. Hey, what do you want to do when you go off to college? I want to study architecture, archaeological studies with a focus on decolonization. She's from the wealthy Portland, Oregon sub- suburb of Happy Valley, then relocated to Spokane, Washington. Emily Murphy of Gross Isle, Michigan. Murphy is a middle-class vegan activist who previously served as the at-large chair for the Chicago chapter of Al Gore's Climate Reality Project before becoming further radicalized in eco-ideology. Um, okay. Ivan James Ferguson, 23, of Henderson, Nevada. That's outside of Las Vegas. He's an award-winning, classically, classically trained clarinetist, clarinetist from Henderson, Nevada, who studied at the prestigious San Francisco Conservatory of Music before becoming radicalized. He regularly performed and performed in classical concerts in Nevada and California. I guess the point of this is when you see these riots that are out there, it, it's, it's not... She local people who are upset with this, or it, it, and it really appears that a lot of the violence and stuff is being organized by th- this Antifa crowd that is out there traveling around the country looking for protests to have and looking to burn it down. And, and that's that's the whole idea. These are like these anarchist sites that. They could care less about the community, the people that live there, the businesses. They could care less about anything except let's destroy this. And then once we've been able to destroy this city, once we've been able to burn down Kenosha, what are we going to do? Well, we'll hop in our bus and we'll drive somewhere else to find some other city to burn it down. That is what we are facing today. And look, and I'm not saying that all the people that are involved in firebombings or committing these acts are out-of-state agitators. But if you don't think that there is a lot of -of out-of-state agitation going on, you need to wake up and smell the roses. And what happened in Atlanta over the weekend demonstrates that clearly. Jeff, wouldn't it be nice if we could teach the left common sense and logic? But this isn't the left. This is this is the Antifa left. This is the, the anarchists. These are the people who are about destroying stuff. This isn't about the, the, the political system where you have conservatives and liberals and you have a policy discussion that argues about, okay, what's the appropriate way to go? These are people that largely, coming from privileged backgrounds, 
have decided that, hey, I've got daddy's money. You know, I, I've lived this privileged life. I'm going to put on a black ski mask and I'm going to go to a city that maybe I've never been to before because there is this protest going on. And I'm going to use this as an opportunity to try to advance my anarchist agenda by seeing what I can burn down. Well, the, the sooner those people are caught, removed from society, but means by put behind bars and, and then given 10 or 15 years to, I mean, rethink their positions, the better that we are all going to, you know, be. Um, you know, that's the bottom line. Um, Jeff, why is there a media blackout on what took place in Atlanta over the weekend? Well, I don't know that there's a media blackout. I mean, it's it's I think I tell you the truth. It would be getting a lot more attention. What happened at Atlanta over the weekend would be getting a lot more attention were it not for the, this story out of Monterey Park, California, where you've got the, the dance hall shooter who who killed what? like 10 people and and wounded 10 others that that's of course the dominant thing and i i just don't even know what to say about that other than one of the things and this would be my advice to everybody right or left when you have one of these incidents that occurs it's always best to take a pause and wait at least a little bit till you have some idea what the story is Okay, so when we had, so for people, I I think everybody's probably familiar with this by now. What you had is is Sunday was the Chinese New Year, the the Lunar New Year. Big celebrations, especially in in like Asian, Asian communities. And so there's this big Asian community in this relatively small town in, in California. And what happens is there's a couple like, they're describing as ballrooms or dance studios where people, from the community would gather for a celebration, like a New Year's Eve celebration, right? And so you have this guy who goes in and and shoots 10 people, shoots 20 people, 10 are dead, 10 are injured. I don't know if the death total has, has gone up. I didn't check it before I went on the air today. And then tries to go to another one of these dance halls and dance studios or whatever. And as he's coming in, there was a, a young man who confronted him, and they get into a fight. The guy flees. Ultimately, what happens is you know, the police kind of get a description, narrow in on the gunman, and he kills himself. But again, when I was first watching these breaking news stories about this, what I saw was there, there's a couple of these, these talking heads that are on there, and they're immediately saying, oh, well, you know this is going to be a hate crime, and you know this is going to be another one of these aggrieved you know, you know, white supremacists who's got this issue. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, maybe, but you don't know that at all. Now, now what's turning out is that the shooter was a 72-year-old Asian man. They don't exactly know what the motive was, but the, uh, at least a lot of the thinking now, this, this wasn't a hate crime against other Asians. That, I think the, what they're thinking of the motive is, is that he was jealous or something like that. He might have gone there looking for his wife. We, we don't know, but this this wasn't, you know, your disaffected, you know, 21-year-old, you know, white supremacist. This was a, a 72-year-old Asian man from the community who had had whatever issues he, he had, and there might be mental health issues, and there might be all sorts of legitimate questions that you end up raising about this, but this, this rush to judgment that was out there, oh, this has to be the fill-in-the-blank. I, I just I was watching this, and I'm thinking, man, we should just wait till we know more. And then it turns out it's a 72-year-old um, Asian man, and 
whatever his motives were, it, it changes the narrative. And I don't know that we'll ever know for sure what the motives were, but there's always this rush to judgment. I think the Atlanta riots would be getting a lot more attention were it not for this horrible story that happened yesterday. But th- these these Antifa folks, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're still camped down in Atlanta. And I think what happened on Saturday is probably going to inspire the Georgia authorities to you know, move this protest a- a- along and clean out the people that are trans- trespassing in these woods and things like that. But the sooner you get these out-of-state agitators off the street, the better a community is going to be. I mean, I don't know about you, but if if something when, when things happen in Kenosha, for example, I mean, I, I don't think there's any. It's helpful to have a bunch of activists from Kenny Bunkport, Maine, and Spokane, Washington, and you know, Gross, whatever it was, Michigan, traveling across the country to go and try to use whatever issue has happened in fill in the blank Kenosha or Minneapolis or Atlanta or whatever to travel to use that as an opportunity to spread their particular brand of chaos. Sorry, I just don't think that that is helping. For the guy on CNN the other night who says, well, I don't see what the big deal is if people want to travel across the country to protest. Well, no, it it is a big deal because it's not about protest. It's about anarchy. It's about destroying a community you do not live in, and authorities shouldn't put up with it. Residents shouldn't put up with it. Yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to that story I was just talking about, and you can see the pictures of these 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 people that got arrested at the Atlanta protest and, and it's all it it's it's in general upper middle class or upper class kids. By kids I mean you know people in their like early twenties who, you know, are, are all children of privilege who have decided that they want to they become radicalized and so they're gonna travel around the country and try to see if they can burn different things down. You know, one of our uh, posters makes a great point. He said, This is the same underground back in the day upper class terrorists yeah that, that's that's exactly this this like this antifa stuff this isn't power to the people these aren't grassroots struggle these are out-of-state agitators who could care less about whatever community they're in coming there hey what do i care if i burn down the city what do i care if i destroy these these businesses i'm not living here i'm gonna um i'm gonna try to get out of here as quickly as i can after i've caused as much carnage as i can i'm gonna parachute out of here and i'll go somewhere else and i'll use that money to support myself. If you want to see that story again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. One of our texters says, Jeff, that conversation about the, the rich the rich kids who are part of Antifa, you know, your bumper music should be send lawyers, guns, and money. Well, there is kind of a point to that. Um, over the weekend, wanted to make a mention. If you if you grew up around here and you're a sports fan, you will remember uh, when the Brewers came to town, what, 1970, I think, was their, their first year here. Um, the, the franchise struggled. The first big free agent signing was Sal Bando. And Sal Bando was a third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. They had won a couple um, World Series, and they, they brought him to they brought him to to Milwaukee to to play third base. And and Sal, I mean, it wasn't like he was at the very end of his career. I mean, I think he had another five or six good years left. And and Sal Bando played for the Brewers until like 1981, 82 was the year that they ended up going to the World Series. But you know, he was. He was part of, you know, some of those exciting Brewers teams where the Brewers got good for the the first time 
in in their history. And then after he retired as a player, he stayed in the Brewers organization. He was the Brewers general manager for a number of years and, and ended up settling in, in Wisconsin. I bring this up because Sal Bando, who had been battling cancer, and cancer is just such an awful thing, um, had been battling cancer for the last five years or so, you know, passed away over the weekend at the age of 78. And it's you know, we, we forget, you know, and I understand that, you know, in the world of sports and stuff, you, you root for your team and then, you know, players come and players go and managers come and general managers come and go. But, but Sal Bando, getting him to Milwaukee in the mid-1970s was a big deal for the Brewers franchise. I, 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 I would be presumptuous to say that I, I knew him, but I had met him on a couple occasions, and I found him to be a, a real a real gentleman, and he passes away at the age of 78, which is way too soon. All right. Something happened yesterday that um, maybe you don't weren't aware of, maybe you don't care about. The cost of forever stamps. Now, for the longest time, what would happen is you would have, you know, stamps would be to, to send a letter it, 15 cents, 22 cents or whatever. And, and you'd have, you know, you could buy the stamps. You'd buy, oh, I've got the, I've got the 15 cent stamp and I've got a five cent stamp and I've got two, two cents or whatever. And, and you'd put those on there. Years ago, the U.S. Postal Service went to selling these things called forever stamps. And the way it works is, as, as just like their name, the forever stamps are good forever. So it doesn't matter whether or not the price increases, your forever stamp, you know, will, will be good regardless. So in the last 17 months, the price of these forever stamps has gone up. It was, I think, 55 cents, and then I think they boosted it to 60 cents, and then Sunday it went up to 63 cents. Well, it, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm in my drawer at home. I, I've got a, a, a roll of of stamps i've got like we we went out and bought like 60 stamps a while back not because i even knew that there's a price increase coming just because i i needed some stamps and so okay let's let's go buy them and you're not going to have them but so that the stamps i bought for 60 cents or 55 cents doesn't make any difference they're they're good that's that's the idea they're forever stamps so the postal service is doing this and they say hey we expect that um you will see price increases probably twice a year um, fr- from now on. So, you know, these these 63 cent stamps now, who knows, they could be 66 cents, they could be 67, whatever. They said that, um, you know, we're raising the mail prices about 4.2% to offset the rise in inflation. And they, they've also increased the price of postcards, they've increased the price of meter mail, they've increased the price of international letters, etc., etc. So, you know, everything is going up. And as we all know, I mean, the Postal Service is running a, a huge, you know, huge net deficit. Right now, they're expected to be $160 billion in debt for the next 10 years. And what they're hoping is that these price adjustments provide revenue to help contribute to the financial stability all right, of, of the Postal Service. And, and all that's, you know, all, all that's fine. And I, I, I sent out a tweet on this. As a matter of fact, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But one of my comments on this was, and I mean it sincerely, I, I, I think that whether it's 55 cents or 60 cents or 63 cents to have a, a letter delivered, I, I think mail service remains one of the best deals going. I, I just do. But, 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 I understand, and if you are like me, 
you probably send way fewer letters, whatever, that need stamps now than you did five years ago, 10 years ago, and certainly 20 years ago. I mean, I, I will I will say this, that do, do I use stamps from time to time? Yeah, I, I, I do. There'll, there'll be occasions sometimes if I, I want to send a thank you note that's there. Sometimes you'll get these um, something that's in the mail that you have to respond to, and they'll send you the envelope, and you've got to put a stamp on it. But as far, at least for me, as the, the routine monthly bill paying, I do almost none of that via the, the U.S. mail anymore. It's almost all electronic. In, in cases, a lot of cases, it's just automatically taken the, the charge for a lot of stuff is like automatically taken out of my checking account and I get the notification saying we're going to we're going to draw you know this is what your electric this is what your t- utility bill is and we're going to draw it from your checking account on March 1st or, or whatever that might be or alternatively I'll get bill or, or it goes to the credit card or alternatively there are places where I get the bills your bill you know, it is due, your mortgage payment is due, your car payment is due or whatever. And I've just got it set up so that I can go to the website and I can put in a couple entries. I can say how much I want to pay and it just comes out. And none of it, none of these transactions are handled by the mail. Okay. Our number 855-616-1620. That is the old national bank talk and text line. Here is my question. I want to have a serious conversation with you about it. Okay. The mail service, the postal service, isn't going anywhere today or tomorrow, all right? But if we think about how things are changing and we think about the ways people are using the Internet and things like that, my question is this. Do you think, let's look 10 years into the future. Let's look a decade. We're having this conversation on the Jeff Wagner Show, and it's January of 2033. Do you think that there's still going to be enough demand for mail services, that M-A-I-L, mail services, that there's going to be like home delivery 10 years from now. I mean, do you think we will have that, or will we have gotten to the point where there's just not enough demand out there? Maybe there'll still be post offices, but it'll be, okay, if you, know, you, you go there to pick, up, to pick up whatever mail that you might have. I mean, what is... Are we going to continue doing what we have done? And will there be enough demand to justify it? Because I will tell you, most of the stuff I get in the mail, and by the way, I, I love our mail carriers. Great people. They My dog loves the mail carriers and things like that. So I enjoy that, and I'm not wishing anybody out of a job at all. But when I look at most of the mail I get, not all, but most of the mail I get, it's, well, it's it's ads, it's solicitations, it's not, I mean, you get the occasional thank you card or birthday note or stuff like that, but is that going to be enough to justify daily mail service 10 years from now? 855-616-1620, what's the future of mail going to look like? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the Postal Service should not have daily mail service. They need to cut services to stay solvent. We only need mail every other day at best. I, you know, and I, I guess I'm trying to look 10 years in the future and see what this looks like. As, as, as more and more people, for example, use 
electronic bill pay and more and more people graduate to the internet and even in rural areas you get you know broadband that is expanded through there i just see the need for the physical mail delivery decreasing um do i do i think there will still be post offices well yeah but maybe it'll be all right you you got to go in to get your mail or maybe it'll be that if you want home delivery it's only going to be done a couple days a week and i'm i'm not wishing postal carriers out of their jobs or anything like that i'm just kind of looking at the reality and wonder whether we're dealing with a, a dinosaur that at some point in time is going to go the way of I don't know, the blockbuster videos of the world. Let's talk to uh, Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're first. Hello. Hi. Hi. I had to switch to bill paying by for my mortgage and my car payment because my lease payment would come from industry, City of Industry, California, and it took 12 days to get to me. Yeah. Now, I've been leasing from the same dealership for the past 20 years, and only until now, it would take 12 days to get from the city of industry to me. And if mm-hmm. I would mail it back, I would be late. Same thing with my mortgage. I got a call from my mortgage company, the bank, and they were wondering where my mortgage was last month. And I said, well, I mailed it on the 3rd. They didn't yeah. get it until eight days later to yep. Racine, from Waukesha yep. to Racine. And yep. I maintain, I, I have a friend that was a supervisor for the post office, and now he's retired and his sons work there. Louis DeJoy has done everything he can to dismantle the post office. Yeah, thank Jim. Thanks for that. Louis DeJoy is the the Postmaster General of of the U.S. Now he was appointed in I, I think twenty 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 is when is when he took over. I, I look. I, I don't. I'm just looking at. I, I'm not wishing the the end of the postal service, and I, I don't think there, there's going to be. But but daily mail delivery. I just if you think about what you get, and I, I understand there's some people saying, well, okay, I, I get my prescription drugs in, in the mail and things like that, and there there will be alternatives. Maybe it's not the postal service. Maybe you're going to get them through you know delivery services like Amazon or UPS or or whatever. I'm not saying that the, that you know all home delivery of this stuff is going to go away, but the postal service is. They used to depend in, in part on the revenue that you generated from the, the, the regular first-class mail, and there's just not that much of it anymore. And, and yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I like getting the thank you cards, and I like getting the birthday cards and the Christmas cards, and you know, every once in a while I'll get that notice in the mail, but I would say if it was 100% mail 10 years ago, now I'm down to, I don't know, maybe 30% and and most of my all my regular bills I think I'm, I, maybe there's an exception I'm forgetting but all my regular bills are, are taken care of electronically because in part it avoids that problem that the Jim was just talking about I, I don't have to worry about it I mean I okay so I, I'm ready I'm ready to make a mortgage payment fine I go on to the website for the mortgage company and I put in the amount I want to have paid and I put in the date that I want to have it drafted from my account and then you know when that day rolls around i can go to my checking account and i can see that yeah that that payment came out of there so you know when it's to me i like that it gets a lot more control over it but again i'm i'm not wishing ill will on any of this i'm just saying i think 
this is it's the range of, of the future and the postal service like i say now it's up to 63 cents for a forever stamp they say it's probably going to be going up twice a year i still think it's a relative bargain it is still just amazing to me that i can take an, an envelope in you know milwaukee wisconsin and put it in in a mailbox and you know three days later that that letter ends up in you know fort myers florida or, or whatever I, I mean i think that's that's an amazing thing. I don't have the beefs with the post office that a lot of people have, but at the same time, it does seem to me that we're looking at a we're, we're looking at a bit of a dinosaur. Um, some people are suggesting they should stop doing deliveries on Saturdays. They should stop deliveries on Mondays. Part of the the issue with that is. Do you really save money because you're, you're still, as long as you're doing home delivery, you, you still need the people that are, that are going to do that. I think, to me, the ultimate question is going to be, do you pretty much do away with home delivery and say, okay, we're going to have community mailboxes, that's where it's going to be, and you want to pick up your mail, you've got to travel there. I think that that's going to be the next step. And, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the future of the Postal Service is going to be 10 years from now, but I guess is, my guess is it's going to look markedly different and by the way if you've got some of those old forever stamps sitting around well okay you you've got a deal because they're now you know they've gone up so it's one of those deals that your 55 cent stamp now it would cost 63 cents maybe you could find somebody to buy it for 60 that might not be legal